Welcome to We Effed Up, where we continue on our bi-weekly journey to discover all of the times in history where we, the royal we, effed up. What are we talking about this week, Cody? Well, who are you again? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Irrelevant. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we've been doing this a while, haven't we? Yeah, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm so used to uh, my other podcast intros at this That's point. That's fine. That's fine. Well, today we are taking our first dive into Chinese history. Okay. Uh, and with our first woman. Oh. Empress Dowager Cixi. Cixi? Yep. C-I-X-I. Cixi. Okay. Yes. All right. Tell us about uh, Empress Dowager Cixi. Well, as always, need a little context. Okay. Uh, so since the mid-17th century... China had been, had been controlled by the Qing Dynasty, originating in Manchuria. Okay, like uh, Manchurian Candidate. A little different, but like, uh, so like the area of China that's a bit like directly north of Korea. Okay, uh, that is Manchuria. Okay. Uh, the Qing line of emperors began in 1636 with the Chongde Emperor. Now, we kind of have to talk about the role of emperor itself. Okay. Uh, the role is absolute. Mm-hmm. The emperor was considered the son of heaven, who yeah. held the mandate of heaven for the entire world. I mean, same. Same. Yeah. Son of heaven. Mm. Mandate of heaven for the entire world. Mm. I've been there. It's a, bit, it's a big job. Yeah. A lot on your shoulders. Yeah. So, however, real power didn't always reside in the emperor. Depending on who held the office, courtiers and members of the imperial family could exercise great authority. Sure. So, you know... Just like being an emperor anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, often, that's a problem with being an emperor. Yep. Too many too many people around you. Yeah, exactly. If you could be an emperor all by yourself, with nobody around you, that'd be the only way to do it. Often this power resided in regents, especially if the emperor was underage. Uh, in a lot of these situations, the emperor's mother held the real power. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, do you know, I mean, this might be a culture thing. Maybe, like, m- moms in Chinese culture are really important. Well, I mean, of... well, your elders in general are much more important in okay. their culture than they are here. Okay. I mean, not... Not that they're not, Not that yeah. they're not, but they're, they might hold a much more revered place. Okay. So... Makes sense. Uh, emperors also had several sexual partners... Uh, one would be the actual empress, while others would serve as concubines. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, the emperor, of course you're going to have a harem. And you need to be having all the kids you can. Mm-hmm. If you can't have them with your wife, then have them with literally everyone else. Yep. Tale as old as time. Be an emperor, be the son of heaven. No matter the context, whenever I hear that phrase, I just hear Angela Lansbury just sing, Tale as old as time. Beauty and the Beast. You've clearly seen that movie more times than I have. Yeah, I mean, Lord, I watched it a million times when I was a kid. It's like oh, wow. burned into my memory. Uh, eunuchs also held great authority in the imperial court. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because like there, there wasn't really, you know, a risk of them seducing any of the emperor's harem because, you know, they're missing some bits. Well, that doesn't mean that they couldn't seduce them. Number one, number two, though, there there would be no claim to the throne. Yeah, they they couldn't, you know, pop out any young ones. Mm-hmm. So, yep. 
because they had the snip snip. Yep. Yeah, we get it, Cody. We yep. understand what a eunuch is. Thank you. All right. Thank you for Just the illustration. Sure. Uh, all these people in the court led to countless shifting alliances, plots, and intrigue. <laughs> What? Uh, it's just funny. Like I, I'm sure that they probably didn't think about intrigue. They were just like, "Man, there's so much drama happening. I, I'm sick of being emperor. I don't want to be the son of God- heaven anymore." Well, too bad. That's what you got. Blech. Could you give it up? You could. Okay. Uh, but you know, it was it was not common. Not common to willingly give it up. I'll put it that way. Sure. Uh, the Qing Dynasty did not follow strict primogeniture when selecting the heir, like the Ming d- uh, Dynasty before it. Interesting. In- instead, the outgoing emperor decided upon a successor from among his sons or his nephews to rule. So it isn't necessarily your oldest son. Okay. Could it's be like any of your sons you or your s- nephews. You have a large brood of them. And it's like, you that way you can kind of pick, okay, you're the most capable one. Mm-hmm. You see, okay... You you seem like you might be a you, little massacre so maybe maybe not you. <laughs> little massacre Yeah, um, you mm, you like the gambling a bit much, so maybe not. What was the, the episode that we did on the French monarch? Well, the, the English monarch, not English, but European monarch that divided up his kingdom amongst his sons. Louis the Pious. Louis the Pious. This is like Louis the Pious. Except the one he gives it to gets everything. Right. Okay. Yeah, he's not dividing up China repeatedly. So. Okay, but he gets to pick. Yeah, that's the that's the important part. Yeah. Uh, Qing rule over China peaked in the mid 18th century during the reign of the Qianlong Emperor. At this time, called the High Qing Era, uh, China consisted of what is modern day China, Taiwan, Mongolia, and parts of Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan, and had a booming economy, population, and culture. Dang. So, definitely the most dominant force. Uh, in East Asia, um, just unparalleled power in the area. That's uh, that's so fascinating because I feel like we don't hear about anything, any of that. What year was this again? Uh, so, like, we're talking like mid 18th century. Wow. So not too far, you know, removed from the beginning of the American Revolution. I was going to say it probably gets overshadowed by that. Well, that and I mean, based on what, what would come, we are, well, are taught. also based on what would come after. Because okay. as with all golden eras, there has there, to be an end. There has been and there has to be a fall. Okay. Uh, corruption had begun to spread in the Qing government toward the end of Qianlong's reign, and the population was stagnating. Uh, and, and at this time, maritime European powers were beginning to make themselves known to the insular Qing government. So, like you know, at this time, you know, China was very insular; they would, didn't have much contact with the outside world. Uh, because in their eyes, you know, they already had the perfect heavenly kingdom, so why would they want to interact with everybody else? And from their point of view, since they had the mandate of heaven, they ruled, like, the entire world was theirs. Wow. Okay. So. All right. That's fair. That's fair. So these were, to to, to them, these were like, oh, these these Europeans, they're our vassals. They're coming to pay tribute to us. <laughs> yep. I mean, Which same. Was not not what they were doing. Um, oh, boy. Okay. Is yeah. that, is is this just going to be another a thing where the white men ruin everything? Sort of. Is this does this podcast need to be retitled "White Dudes Ruin Everything"? The We Effed Up Saga. I think we're a little far into changing the name. Ah, uh, that's fine. We so. can make a subtitle. It's mm-hmm. okay. But uh, so you know, all these European powers, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, we'd like to do 
we'd like to trade with you. And China's like, no, thank you. And of course, we have fireworks. And Europe is like, we weren't asking. Oh. And so. Sorry. Uh, limited trade concessions were granted to some European merchants with heavy restrictions. Uh, Europeans paid for many Chinese goods like silk and tea with silver. Mm-hmm. And they're wanting a lot of this stuff. So silver is just like flowing out of these European countries. Okay. Because they're using it to pay for for their Chinese goods. And all the European countries, they're wanting to put a stop to this. They don't want to you know, essentially exhaust their silver supplies. Sure. They're like, look, you're spending too much money. So the British, yeah. So the British hit upon a solution. Opium. Oh boy. We're going to give them, we're going to get the Chinese hooked on opium and pay with that. Seriously? Yeah. I thought opium was from the Middle East. I, I don't know where exactly opium is from, but. British had large, like, they controlled large supplies of it. Like Afghanistan, a lot of opium. Yeah, that's what I'm people. saying. Well, Afghanistan's not the Middle East, so it's like Central Asia and India. Um, and the British control large swaths of India, so. Oh, okay. Got it. So they're getting opium from there. Fearing the growing addiction amongst the populace, the Daoguang Emperor banned the import of opium in 1839 which kicked off the first opium war with Britain, which lasted until 1842. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. So uh, the war was disastrous for the Qing as it exposed China's woefully outdated military tactics and technology. Because again, if you're already in a golden age, you already think you're in a utopia, what's the point of innovating? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to innovate. Yes, because... That's why I don't go to the gym. Because our our lives are such utopia... Utopian? Yeah, yeah, that word. Utopian, yes. Well... I do English well. Maybe some of us more than others. Womp womp. (laughs) Anyway. Joking. Uh, The Treaty of Nanking, which ended the war, was the first of the so-called unequal treaties. Uh, Agreements with Britain and other nations over the following years, in which China was forced to grant concessions to the victorious powers. This began the so-called century of humiliation. The century of humiliation. Yes. That should be the title of my autobiography. The century of humiliation. Go for it. <laughs> uh, amidst the external pressure, internal strife also broke out. The Taiping Rebellion, lasting from 1850 to 1864, devastated southeastern China and led to over 20 million deaths. Jeez, okay. That's... Uh, that's a massive amount of people. Yeah, well, I mean, China, pretty much anything in China, you have to scale it up because the population is so massive. Yeah. So, yeah, that's and here's, fair. Here's an image of like what uh, the Qing Empire looks like at this time. So, you see, it's like a lot of. Holy crap. China, Mongolia, a lot of Central Europe, Taiwan. It's so, pretty big. Yeah. Pretty big. So, and so, like, all these other tributary states, like. Burma, Korea, and they're all, they're all there as well. Uh, in November 1861, the five-year-old Tangshu Emperor came to the throne. Five, five years old. Five years old. B- uh, old man. Yep. As he was underage, effective power was held by his stepmother, Empress Dowager Qian, and his mother, Empress Dowager Cixi. Oh, Mama Bear. She's like, look, you can't even. 
you yeah. probably can't even tie your shoes if you even have shoes to tie. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if they had slip-on shoes. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to be insensitive. I just don't know if they had shoelaces. What other things do five-year-olds struggle with? He can't ride a bike, which I don't even know if bikes are a thing. He can't rule a country himself. So He does not have critical thinking skills. No, he does not. He probably doesn't even have object permanence. No. So, as I mentioned, effective power held by two people. Sishi. Sishi and, and Sion. Sion is his grandma? No. Oh, okay. That is his stepmother. Okay. Okay, so Sishi was... Sishi was a concubine. A concubine, okay. Sion was the empress. Okay, so she was the, the real queen, lady, yes. empress, and Sishi was... Baby mama. Baby mama, okay. A little bit about Sishi. Uh, she was born in November 1835 in Beijing. Okay. She had several names throughout her life. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to refer to her as Sishi throughout. Okay. I'm not going back and forth with different names. It's too confusing. That would be very confusing yes. for me, so I appreciate that. Uh, she was chosen as a concubine for the imperial harem of the Shanfeng Emperor in June 1852. So did that emperor pick, or did other people pick, and they were just like, okay, you're a concubine now? Um, I just don't know. It like, could be like the emperor picks, or you know, they parade a bunch of them in front of the emperor, and he's like, I'll take you and you, not you, you, not you. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. So. Feels weird. Don't like it. Yeah. Uh, she gave birth to what would be Shanfang's only surviving son, the Tongshu Emperor, in April 1856. As the mother of the emperor's only son, Cixi was second only in status to the emperor's consort, Empress Xi'an. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Following the death of Xian Fang in August 1861, Cixi, with the assi- with the assistance of Xi'an and Prince Gong, managed to oust the regents appointed after Xian Fang's death and became regent herself. Dang. So. So she she trumped them all. Yeah. She was like, okay, my turn. Yeah. After assuming power, Cixi initiated the Tongshu Restoration, an attempt to modernize aspects of the Qing government in order to combat the encroachment of foreign powers and mollify the reformers in the government like Prince Gong. Because that's how she had... He, Prince Gong had been a you know, powerful person at the court, um, and she had solicited his assistance in you know, seizing power for herself and her clique um, by promising reforms. Okay. Because you know, one of the guys is like, hey, we're losing all these powers. We, we, need to, we need to reform the government. Like you do. You make promises. Yeah. However, the reforms were disorganized and half-hearted. They, quote, barely scratched the surface of modernization without achieving a breakthrough in industrialization, end quote. Uh, Prince Gong had been a supporter of reform, but was sidelined from power by Cixi within a few years. Of course. So she used this guy to get power, and now she's like, I don't need you anymore. Uh-oh. So. Ruh-roh. She formed the core of the Imperial Court's conservative faction and opposed reform. She's like, everything's perfect, just like it is. Well, me, and, me and my baby, bouncing baby boy. The system how it is now is how, it's like, well, that's my, that's my power base, mm-hmm. so it needs to stay how it is. Right, right. There doesn't need to be any reforms. No reform. Uh, her conservatism showed in many ways. Uh, she refused to authorize railroad construction, citing that the resulting noise would, quote, disturb the emperor's tombs, end quote. Okay. Because the noise would just disrupt their spirits. Of course. She refused to be driven in a motor car, 
as the driver wouldn't be able to lower himself before her. They couldn't kowtow correctly, you know, they'd be on, you know, she'd be in the back seat and the driver, you know, wouldn't be below her. Yeah. As was, you know, protocol would dictate. That's why you sit on pillows, duh. Uh, she refused to permit study abroad because, well, why would you need to study abroad? We already have the perfect system here. And you know, we have all of the knowledge. Yes. There are no other knowledges. So. Fair. And let me show you a picture of Cixi. That is her. It's it's later in life, but. Yeah, good. I think you showed me this picture last time. Why would I have shown it to you last time? I don't know. I've seen this picture sometime. Eh, possibly. So the Tongshir Emperor was married in 1872 to the Jostion Empress, who was Xi'an's preferred choice. Wasn't he only like 16? Let's see, 1872. He was born in 1856. Yeah, so, so he was 16. Yeah. This kid, he's got a lot on his shoulders. Son of heaven. Well, we'll see how it turns out. Oh, um, boy. Does see, he she, not have a head on his shoulders at the, at the end of this? He hated learning. Yeah, I mean, which is it? Well, I mean, to the point when he's the emperor, so, you know... If you're a tutor, are you going to say, hey, you need to do this? Or are you really going to correct him? Oh, okay. Yeah, you see so, what I'm getting at. So, so he was an idiot? Yes. Oh, okay. Whoops. Sishi uh, uh, and Jashun did not get along. Uh, after being warned to respect Sishi's power and authority, Jashun remarked, quote, I am a principal consort, having been carried through the front gate with pomp and circumstances mandated by our ancestors. Empress Dowager Sishi was a concubine and entered our household through a side gate. Oh, boy. Just okay. like, I'm the Empress. She was just a hoe. Yep. Yep. So. Wow. Way to pull rank. Yep. Uh, Tongshir began to rule personally in November 1873 and proved to be utterly incompetent. Of course. Well, he was only 17. <clears throat> Could you rule China? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, he, he preferred the pleasures of the role. Yeah. You know, gambling, drinking, and carousing. Carousing. Yes. I like that. So. Um, yeah. When I was 17, I was going to hardcore punk shows and getting punched mm. in the face. Um, and yeah, there, there's no way that I could have handled that amount of responsibility. Yeah. I mean. I would have been an I mean, I mean, I, I identify with, that's what I was doing in 17, you know, gambling, drinking, carousing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean. Okay. No, I was probably sitting in my room, like, playing a Star Wars video game or something. Uh, see, she, but she still wielded true power behind the scenes. Pull uh, the strings. Yep. But in January 1875, Tongshir became ill and died, likely oh, no. from smallpox. Oh, Tongshir. So, his you wife... sweet, tiny baby boy at 19. Yep. Wow. His wife, Jashun, died the following March. So she only died two months later. Also smallpox? Possibly, but speculation persists that she may have been pregnant with Tongshir's child and that Sishi had her poisoned, but this has not been confirmed. Because if she has a child... Right. Sishi's she, out. Yes. Yep. So, yep, but we don't have any way to confirm that, so... This is like an episode of Jerry Springer. You Just you wait. Oh, boy. As Tongshir did not have any male heirs, Sishi was able to handpick his successor. 
She selected her four-year-old nephew, the son of her sister, and a son of the Daoguang Emperor. The child will be known as the Guangxu Emperor. Okay. Let me show you the picture of the Guangxu Emperor. That is him. Nice. So. Like his hat. I'm into it. Yep. Of course, since he's four years old, Zixi would continue as regent. Of course. So. In April 1881, Empress Dowager Xi'an died suddenly. It is believed that she had a stroke. Oh. It's not speculated. There's foul play, but who knows? Sure. Uh, Guangxu turned 18 years old and married in 1889, at which point, at which point Cixi retired, in quotes. I mean, she's had a tough life. Well, she doesn't really retire, retire. She's going to go play golf. She's still pulling the strings, but she's like, she's, she's stepping away from the public role but she's, you know, still there, kind of behind the scenes. Okay, Peddling her influence. Uh, and real power really remained with her. She frequently advised the emperor, and many went to her with issues instead of going to Guangxu. Yeah. So. Yep, that, that tracks. Uh, this continues on, you know, more conflicts with other European powers. China's losing more and more. They're being forced to give up more and more comes to a head in 1894 and 95 when China and Japan fought the first Sino-Japanese War. So now they're fighting Japan, which has just, you know, kind of been the weaker neighbor for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was an utter humiliation for China. Oh, no. Uh, it lost Korea to Japan. Its navy was completely destroyed. And for the first time, Japan became the dominant power in East Asia. Uh-oh. So now China, it's not even the, you know... The big guy on the block anymore. It's mm -hmm. second fiddle now to Japan, who is this rising power. Wow. After this defeat, Guangxu decided that wholesale structural change was needed. With like-minded advisors, he launched the 100 Days Reform. It's not a lot of time. Well, it's called that for a reason. It's not like, we're going to do all this in 100 days. It's it called... lasted 100 days. Yes. I see. Uh, the reforms included establishing a modern education system with a focus on math and science, as opposed to the traditional Confucian curriculum. Um, it uh, would end the traditional civil service exams. Okay. Uh, which were had been around for centuries at this point. And it wasn't necessarily based on, okay, this is you know, testing on, like, how well can you do this job? It was more like, do you uh, subscribe to these Confucian ideals that the court, you know, yeah. subscribes to? So there's a uh, there's a really good podcast called Scoundrel, and they did one um, an episode recently on somebody who uh, became super influential in that area of the world. I don't want to spoil it. Um, became super influential in that area of the world after flunking the civil service exam like six times. It was the guy who instigated the Taiping Rebellion that yes. we just mentioned. Yeah. So he failed it four times. Four times, yeah. He thought he was the brother of Jesus. But it yeah. also cost a lot of money. And like, oh, yeah. And like yep. several hundred thousand people would apply to do it every year. And like only a certain number was were chosen. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of prestigious to even go and take the test. Yeah. And then he flunked it multiple times. Four times. And it cost a lot. Like, like it was the whole money. village's money. Yeah. Like so. all, all of the money. Yeah. So, so same same civil service exam. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, 
more reforms included quick industrialization and uh, quick industrialization through investment and bring in more capitalist practices. Um, oh, no likey. I mean, it was better than what they were doing. No, no, I I understand. I'm just saying that Empress Dowager Cixi is not going to like this. Hmm. Ah. Well, modernizing the military, Ooh. which would make sense. They're losing yeah. all the time. And the big one, shifting the government to a constitutional monarchy. Oh, no. So moving away from the emperor having absolute power and all the people around him exercising that power for him, no, shifting to representative democracy with a constitutional monarchy. Uh, I still don't know why we switched. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some members of the government supported the reforms, but many did not, including Cixi, who saw a threat to her grasp on power. Obviously. And this is where she Fs up. Miss Retired. With the assistance of Army Commanders Ronglu and Yuan Shikai, Cixi led a coup against the Guangxu Emperor on September 22nd, 1898. Oh, Remember, boy. this is her hand-picked nephew. Yeah. So... With the Forbidden City occupied by military forces, Cixi officially resumed her role as regent and placed Guangxu under house arrest. Oh, no. At least she didn't kill him. Many of the leading reformers were executed. Uh, It would be a bit on the nose to execute the emperor. Yeah, yeah. So, because you didn't really do, like, you you just didn't really do that. You would just place him under house arrest because they still have the mandate of heaven. Oh, right, right, right. Um, You don't want heaven mad at you. Yeah, and and it was something like the mandate of heaven. It was something that could be taken. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when the Qing, they you know uh, they fought a they're from Manchuria. They fought a war against the Ming, the, mm-hmm. the predecessors of the Ming dynasty, and uh, and they you know successfully defeated the Ming. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, we have succe- we have taken the mandate of heaven. So like, it could pass between like dynasties. It was a little on the nose to just kill the emperor for political reasons. Got it. So, so without significant change, China continued to spiral. Oh, no. In October 1899, the Boxer Rebellion broke out, eventually pitting China against practically all the foreign powers who had a stake in China. Oh, boy. It's like It's weird because it's literally China versus everybody else at the same time. Like Japan, the United States, Tsarist Russia, Britain, France, the Habsburg Austrians, the 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 Germans under the Kaiser, the Dutch, wow, the Sp- like literally everybody. Sounds like a cluster. Yeah, uh, and it was called the Boxer Rebellion because Westerners didn't really understand martial arts yet, and they thought they called it Chinese boxing. That's really why it's called that. Uh huh. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, China lost and was forced to sign the Boxer Protocol, which further destabilized the government. Cixi was forced to attempt more reforms, um, including abolishing the traditional exam system and taking steps towards representative government. But as always, they were half-hearted at best. She didn't really want to do this. Right. On November 14th, 1908, the Guangxu Emperor died, never having been released from house arrest. Oh, boy. The same day, Cixi picked Guangxu's two-year-old nephew, Pu Yi, as his successor, naming him as the Xuantong Emperor. 
I would be so mad if I lived in a country and they were like, all right, this kid, he's 23 months old. He's going to be your new emperor. I'd be like, well, I don't want this. Well, we'll get to this. Okay. Uh, and, and these names of these emperors, this is like their reign name. This isn't like their personal name. Mm-hmm. Like Puyi is his name. Mm-hmm. But that like his like he's called the Xuantong Emperor. Right. Like I said, I wasn't gonna go through everybody's name. I'm that's just gonna okay. Call, yeah. So just I, for simplicity. That's fair. I understand. So remember, this is November fourteenth, nineteen oh eight. That Guangxu dies, and two year old Puyi comes on. Mm-hmm. The next day, November fifteenth, Cixi died at age seventy two. Oh no! She Cixi. she dies the day after she picked a new two year old emperor. Oh my gosh! This two year old emperor is doomed. Yeah. Oh. He didn't when, do anything. Well, when Guangxu's body was exhumed and tested in 2008, lethally high levels of arsenic were found. Ooh. It has been theorized that Cixi knew that she was dying, and so had Guangxu poisoned so that she could pick his successor and to prevent a possibility of Guangxu coming back into power and making sweeping reforms. Wow. That's commitment. So it's, it's likely that she had the emperor killed. Wow. Commitment. Yeah. Puyi barely lasted three years on the throne. In Aww. October 1911, a rebellion broke out in Wuchang and spread across the country, culminating in the abdication of Puyi in February 1912 and the establishment of the Republic of China. With the abdication, over two millennia of imperial rule came to an end. Wow. China would be wracked by instability and conflict until the early 1950s. So that's why it's called the Century of Humiliation. It is literally a century of everybody else beating up on China. And and, and a lot of internal strife. Because after this, you kind of get what's called the Warlord Era mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. Like, different warlords in various areas have control. Then you get the Civil War between the Nationalists and the Communists. Wow. So, yeah. And Puyi, he actually... <laughs> He actually, um, in nineteen nineteen thirties, when Japan like conquers part like Manchuria, they set up a puppet state called Manchukuo, mm-hmm. and they put Puyi on the throne of this puppet state as emperor. Aww. So he's an adult by this point, but of course, you know when yeah. Japan loses the war, that that's done, uh, and he eventually dies in the nineteen sixties. Oh, so sorry, Puyi. Under the communists, who aren't exactly fans of you know right. Monarchies. Emperors. Emperors. Yeah. So, so wow. yeah. So, see, she, like, this kind of person who's just like, nope, we're not going to reform because I need to maintain power. And it's just like, if she, it's drove like, drove everybody if, into the ground with her. If she had just let Guangxu just kind of move forward with her reforms, it's like, you know, would have fixed everything? No, because it was probably a little too late by that point. But if, you know, like, they start moving in that direction sooner, how do things turn out? Right. Does, you know, does China descend into chaos um, after the abdication of Puyi? Um, does the warlord era still happen? Sure. Do you still get the war between nationalists and communists? Yeah, so, it's like, there's... There, there's a lot of, you know, what-ifs, mm-hmm. you know, sure. if she hadn't been like, nope, no Fair. reform, so. Wow. Emperor Stavager Cixi, you, you effed up. She effed up. So. Uh, first female 
person mm-hmm. on the show. Yep. Sources for this. Emmanuel Su, Rise of Modern China, 6th edition from 1999. Luke Kwong, Mosaic of the Hundred Days from 1984. Keith Laidler, The Lost Empress from 2003. And Klaus Mulhan, Making China Modern from 2019. So, and then uh, a podcast to recommend. This one is a little topical. Uh, just called The History of China. So, pretty straightforward. It's The History of China. Wow. I yep. don't think... That's a surprise. Um, the ho- He's not up to the point we just talked about yet. Uh, I think he's still in the Ming Dynasty, so... So little boys, okay. Um, but I think I think there's like over 300 episodes so far, so it's been going for quite a while. Wow. Okay. I mean, China's an ancient country, so there's a lot of history there. Yeah, for uh, sure. So, so yeah, that's that's Zixi. What are we talking about next time? Well, we're taking a look at uh, this is I guess you could say a more comical f up. Oh, uh, still results in some death. Oh. Uh, well, eh. Anyways. Yeah. But um, uh, Robert Stockton and the explosion on the USS Princeton. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> the, the the blank look on your face is like, all right, she's never heard of it. Good. So. All right. Yep. So next time on We Have To. Please be sure to check out our other projects, The Drunken Pawn, where we play board games and drink on YouTube. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, my sister podcast project with my lovely pod wife, Juliet, where we talk about horror movies. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WeEftUp, no spaces. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And this is We, we Up. Up.